So this is um, On the Sofa with Rouge and we're sitting in my house. It's wonderful to have Professor Daniela Tilbury here, who is um, above all my friend. And we've known each other for a long time. We, we were both in, living in Oxford um, at the same time at I some, think, I think so. Um, I didn't really know you that well then, but well, we, I, think, I think I was there between 88 and 99. Okay. So at some point were you there? I was... Or maybe you were eight, after... 89 was the only year I was there. So I was just a student. I'd just started. Oh, and you were probably... I didn't know that. Beginning your... But I... <laughs> yeah, you didn't know that. No, I didn't know so, you were there at the same time. Yeah. I know you went to Oxford. Yes, so yes. I had no idea. So what were you What were you doing in Oxford at that time? I was, I was studying. I was doing a, a joint degree. Uh, I was start, doing politics, education and geography. Was and it, I did a... a, well, a Two degrees, separate degrees that ended up um, that ended up doing some really interesting things, and, and also, also getting qualified as a as a, an educator. So I had qualified teacher status at the end of that process too. And is is that what you sort of wanted to do? You wanted to be a teacher from the word go? No, no, no. But uh, it's really interesting because I used to be that type of kid that sat at the back of the class and wasn't never really focused on what schoolwork was about. So I was one of those girls at the back because, you know, we were separate, boys and girls were separated. Yeah. And, and, you know, what, what's West Side now used to be the girls' comp, you know, John McIntosh Hall and what's mm. number six now? In fact, the chief master's office used to be my class. And, yeah, <laughs> the nuns used to come in. And, and, and I used to sit at the back of the class, and I remember the teacher who taught me that year particularly used to say to my mum, que no se concentra, que no se concentra. Emolita, pero no se concentra. Increíble. And, and I was that kid that was just sitting at the back of the class and more interested in how the teacher was teaching <laughs> than on what she was teaching. Really? And, and, and I was thinking, God, because this could be a lot more interesting if she only did this, this and that. And imagine yeah. if she asked us questions rather than told us, you know. But of course, so I, my interest in, in education has always then. been about how can you get the learners more interested mm. and more engaged. Mm. And I think everything that runs through what I do is about participation and engagement. It's about how people can have a say. Mm. in what they're involved in, you know, whether it be education, whether it be sustainability. So you felt that from a young age, really, from uh, sitting in the back of the class? Yeah, it, and it wasn't just education. And as a woman, I also yeah. felt quite disconnected from a lot of the decision-making processes of what was going on. And I felt, well, it was really interesting, you know, and I... Uh, I owe a lot to my parents who were always very empowering no? and saying, well, if you don't like something, ask. You know, always ask questions, always challenge. If, if there's something you're not comfortable with, just ask. Don't just settle, you know. Yeah, and you did. And I did. And, and, and I've got through life, I guess, asking questions about mm. things. And learning. Learning a lot. Because you don't yeah. stop No, no, learning, learning is really and interesting. What, what was your subject at school? So obviously yeah, sustainability yeah. is your thing now is, yeah, is what yeah. you enjoy what you've done for quite a few years yeah. but um in those days sustainability was was that okay when i first in fact before i answer your question the very first time i went to my supervisor and i said because i was uh, studying for a doctorate at cambridge when i when the word first came up mm. and i went to my supervisor at the time and i said look rex i I want to do I want to do research and sustainability, 
And I remember, I still remember the look on his face. Me miró así en blanco, me diciendo, esta está loca. Esta está loca. What's she doing? <laughs> you know, in una cosa, it's going to be a, th a fund that's going to be here for today, gone tomorrow. And in fact, he advised me that. He said, it's academic suicide. Don't do anything on sustainability. Because, you know, you've got a promising career. This is going nowhere. You know, just, just think about other stuff, you know. Y yo un poquito, you know. Cuando se me mete algo por cabeza, es un poco stubborn, pero bueno. Sí, I couldn't let go. Mm. So I insisted, insisted, and eventually I, I, I sort of stuck with it, and I did the first doctorate in sustainability in the early wow. 90s. And, and In Cambridge. Sí, and because I was the first, I mm. think, rather than because it was necessarily a very impressive thesis, mm. you know, I think that that opened a lot of doors. Doors for you. Um, yeah, yeah. So, But in school, which is your question, I mean, yeah. what I did in school was... Um, I really enjoyed geography. Um, geography was my thing because I was interested in, in people and places um, and how people and places connect or not connect, you know. Uh, and that was my thing. Yeah. Uh, more a human geographer. And, yeah, just uh, like my son, Mikey's like that. Yeah. Loves human geography. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I saw you written something because they went off on a field trip to uh, Slapton yes, yes, recently. Yes, yes, Where was I? I was, I was on my way to the Commonwealth Day Service. That's right. And you and wrote I saw something at on... the airport. And I got That's so right. excited to see... But the, they're still going. They're still going to Slapton. Slapton was so much fun. Yeah. 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 So so you went through school in Jib. What are your yeah. memories of Gibraltar in those days I mean you were like me the frontier was yes. shut when you were when you were little so mm. you probably hadn't been to Spain much no um and and you know you say I, I mean I look at my daughter now and she's living in an open front and there's so much liberty so much choice so much interesting things going on but al mismo tiempo she's missing out on a lot of stuff you know mm. because with the closed frontier we had a sense of community we had a sense of identity you know, and and yeah, we used to go around the circuit in the car on a Sunday because that's what yeah, we used to do. Glad we used to get in the back of the car, six yeah. of us in the same car, just around, around, around. You know, we didn't yeah. know any better. That yeah, was yeah, what yeah. it was about. But uh, there was something where there was integrity, there was trust, mm. there was connections between us. You know, my year, the year above, we have a mm. connection. You know, with people, and it doesn't matter what they're doing mm. or where they are. You see each other, you give each other a hug, you know, there's, there's a sense of we belong together. Yeah, um, a sense of belonging. No? Yeah, like... so we are part of something. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. No, I, agree. I don't get that sense from the younger generation. I agree. I think now with this whole social media thing as well, yeah. they're all, they socialize on the phones. Yeah. Um, they don't go out there. Uh, Although there's nothing much to do in Jib now yes. as well. And the, yeah, that's true, isn't it? It's very different. When we yeah. were young, we were going out to the Admiral Collingwood. Yeah. that? Yeah. Or Los Ampets discos. Yeah, 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 the afternoon discos. The afternoon the discos galpe, and the, the galpe, exactly. The, the galpe and Había mucha cosa and we used to have such fun. We all mm. knew each other. And like you say, it was like a, a closer... Yeah, I mean, there was, there was a bad side of that, that, you know, sometimes we were far too close together, you know, mm. and, and sometimes you needed some breathing space. But overall, it was a very positive experience growing up mm. with the close frontier. And I think they're not... Do you feel we were privileged a little bit? Yes and no. To yes. have that sense of belonging and that intent. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of families don't have that. No, no. And, and, you, and you don't get that anymore. Um, you know, I, I go to a lot of um, evening classes and I join lots of clubs and stuff, you know. Mm. And, and you can immediately bond with people who experience the close frontier because there is a sense of 
we're together. Yeah, we were we were there. We lived it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's still there. It's quite prevalent. But I mean, the other side of all of this, Michelle, is that with the close frontier, it gave me personally a hunger to explore the world yeah, much more. Absolutely. Than than again, mm. the younger generation I think have because mm. I felt the need to get out. Mm. Yeah. Um, and when I went to uni, I disconnected a bit from Gibraltar because I wanted to experience something different. Uh, I didn't go mm. to the same university all the Gibraltarians went, or I didn't, because I really wanted to, you know, feel something different, experience and taste something different, and then judge my experience and think, ah, oh, it's, you know, put it into a context much bigger than the one I grew up in. Yeah? And is that why you think you, you travelled so much? And, Absolutely. And and, and it Absolutely. got to nearly all around the world, really. Absolutely. I, I, I had, if there was an opportunity put in front of me to travel, I'd take it. I wouldn't think about it because I, I felt that need to see more, to, mm. to experience more, to mm. understand people from different cultures more. That's, that's yeah. always been a part of me. I remember my mother used to look at me going, <laughs> She's off again. You had this yearning to to learn and travel and, yeah. and, and yeah. see the world. Yeah. And I you really have. I don't well, regret it at all. Do you know all. what I've done? I, I Although I do I know you, I've looked you up on Wikipedia. Oh, gosh. Gosh, Daniela, there's like eight pages. But you know, you know that's people, stuff people that put were, stuff there. Who puts all that on there? Okay, but some of the stuff is accurate and some is not because Wikipedia Ooh, is, is, interesting. is what, what is. So... The first thing is that yeah. we have to give you the badge for being the first female professor in Gibraltar. <laughs> that is, is that a badge, huge, is it? Well, I'm giving you the badge myself because nowadays everybody can give badges <laughs> in different colours. And I am giving you the badge because as a woman and yeah. as a mate, I'm yeah. proud of you oh, because you, it's, it's, a, it's a big achievement. Oh. I, I, I suppose there might be others now, no, professors yes, yes, there are. in Jib? Indeed, um, there are. But you were the first. So see, see, it was a it was at a time when you know it, it was a different time where women in academia uh, were there, but not very present. Um, so I think uh, it, it, that yeah, it was it was it was. I mean, I have I have to say, I never experienced any sexism in academia ever. That's great I, to hear. Yeah, I never experienced it, but I was surrounded by men all the time. There were very few women who were actually in academia as a career. Um, so, you know, the, the, the ladies that were there were playing mainly supportive roles mm. uh, or were part-time, mm. uh, you know, sort of um, career-wise, there was very, very, very few of us at the time. And we're talking 1990s. Um, when did you go to study? What year did you go? Probably 80, I don't know, you're testing me now, 86, 86 I think it was, okay. 85, 86, because yeah. I did a year here before I left. Okay. I did a year in school, so I spent some time teaching, teaching. in mm. in, in uh, Bayside uh, and St. Paul's, yeah, so wow. I, was, I was 17 because uh, I was the youngest in my year. So I was 17, I was teaching in Bayside. That was an experience and a half. <laughs> I bet. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> that was, that was character-forming. Yeah. Uh, uh, good experience, I'd, I'm sure. It was. Yeah. Scary at yeah. the start, but very good experience. Yeah, and very young, but at least it yeah. it, it got you want to carry, wanting to carry on teaching and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, learning well, and yes, yes. as I, you went along. There's the, there's the classroom culture that, that that's challenging, but uh, yeah, no, it was a while back and... I, I did enjoy it. I 
Well, I've got lots of things to ask you, Daniela. Um, for example, I always you've got so many t um, honorary positions, which is quite <laughs> incredible. I mean, you're a commissioner for sustainable development, so I understand that because you've done a lot of work with sustainable development. What is sustainable development exactly? Oh my goodness! For all those people who no, say, I thought we weren't going to get intellectual here. Uh, just, just, to, just to find out, just in case someone's listening and they. You know, it yeah, is yeah. a newish word mira, and it's mira. interesting to hear. Mira, it's a good question. Mira, I get up in the mornings and what drives me is the concept that there is an exciting future ahead of us. And there's so many things that we could be. And when I mean we, I don't just mean Gibraltar and the community. I mean, I mean we as in the bigger sense of we as a global community. There are so many exciting things we could be. Pero que pasa? Que we are all focused in now. Getting through the day. We're all focused on what are we going to have for dinner. We're focused on what are we doing this weekend. We're focused in here and now. Mm. And there are big issues that are coming around the corner that mm. if we don't get our act together, yeah. we are going to not have a very promising future. And that's what sustainable development is about. Yes, enjoy now, but plan, think, take mm. control of your future. Don't let others decide for you. And by others, I mean by doing nothing and just us continuing with the type of lifestyle that we have and the way that things are going on this planet, the future is not as bright as we need it to be, right? So sustainable development is about taking control of our future by doing things now. And what made you want to do that? Uh, Anything in particular or? See, I, I, well, first I've met some very inspirational people. And I think people who have inspired me to think about the future have played a very important role. Um, I think, you know, this, this word participation I said before, people participating mm. and people making decisions for themselves rather than others making decisions for them, whether there be a teacher who's telling you what it is you need to know mm. rather than you asking the questions of this is what I want to know or whether it be in politics about, you know, politicians telling you this is what's important for our, for our, for our country or for our town without asking us what mm. is it you really want. That's what motivates mm. me. You know, I think people have to have a voice. People have to... Uh, question. Question. And be able to say, hang on a minute, this is the future I want. Yeah. And we're not talking about it because we just we're just focused on the here and now. Let's let's talk about plans for the future. Let's get excited. Mm. So I don't know if it's making sense to you, but that's it's what... making sense to me. I, I think a bit like that. I'm always thinking, what am I gonna do next? Yeah. What, what, why is this happening? Why yeah, is this yeah. what would you tell the person that says to you climate change does not exist and this is just you know, fictitious. Um, I'd ask them why they say that. Why, why do you say There's that? There's quite a lot of people like that. Yeah, so I um, say, well, why, what makes you think that? Um, and try to get to the bottom of what it is they are denying. Because the, the science is there. Yeah. Uh, the day-to-day -day realities of climate change are here. Um, you just need to look at the scientific records. You know, we have more rain, more wind, more sun. <coughs> We have extreme weather events. Wherever you live, you mm. will look at your records and see that the weather and the climate is changing. Um, but, but it doesn't have to be bleak. 
if we take control of it now, you know, it could be so exciting and positive. Like the UK is now growing different wine grapes to be able to generate different types of wine. That's a positive side of climate change. But yeah. you just need to plan ahead. You need to adapt. You need to prepare. Mm. And you, you need, need to change people's minds. You need to not be blind. I think that's yes. the thing. We have like yes. blinkers yes. and we just want to look at what's in front. Mm. You look at but okay, it's not just about climate. When we talk about sustainability, it's about poverty. It's about vulnerability. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but in our community, we're getting extremes at the moment. We're getting really, really rich people. We're getting richer by the day. And we're getting more and more families that are more vulnerable, mm. that are on the, the poverty yeah. line. You know, and, and again, we turn a blind eye to them. We've, <clears throat> so you know, I, I experienced that the first time when I went to Latin America in 1978. My uncle was working for Oxfam. Yeah, yeah. And I'd never, I, I was eight years old and I, my parents took me to see yeah. him in Guatemala. We see, were traveling see. through Mexico, Guatemala, Nicaragua. We went all Wonderful. down there. It was incredible. But what really shocked me was that, yes. that there was either very rich people in closed communities yes. living the life yes. or absolute poverty. Yes. I'd never experienced anything like yeah. it. And I was shocked. Yeah. And it's it's not fair. I don't think it's fair. I mean, I have this sense of uh, we can't just turn a blind eye. It's not fair. And it's not just the north-south divide in, 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 in the, 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 you know, the broadest sense. Mm. In our community. I yes. Mean, you get the yes. EV Foundation. Yes. You get, you get other local charities that mm. are doing some terrific work. And I don't know where Gibraltar would be without them because we need them. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you know whether it be housing, whether it be food banks. You know, you got Father Osobardi and his crew as well who are doing some terrific work. Mm -hmm. You got, you know, you got the the housing uh, group as well. The the NGOs. We need them. Yeah. We need them to support the vulnerable, and and yeah. we must not forget that these people are there and they exist, and they are much more prevalent nowadays than they were before so this this extremes uh exist in our community and and i worry about that i worry about the fact yeah. that you know i one of the key <clears throat> things i did when when i moved to the uk um because my daughter was was privileged enough to get a scholarship to go to to a really good school when we moved to the UK. Mm. Um, she she's very talented with mathematics, and she got a scholarship to to this great school. And one of the key things that that we, my husband and I, agreed was that the minute she went into that more privileged school, that we would only travel to the school via bus. Mm. Right, and that would expose her to the two sides of the community. Because, you know, her everyday reality was in a school that was very terrific school, very supportive, but very privileged, versus, you know, getting on a bus where you, in, in the UK in particular, those who get on the bus are coming from more, a very different... From all walks of life, exactly. And, and, and you know, you get, you get the older people that are not very visible to young people sometimes on the bus. Mm. And you get people who come from, from different backgrounds and walks of life. And exposing her to, to the realities of a broader society was really important. And I, you know, I'd still do that now. You know, uh, we get the bus. It's important I, to teach them that, yeah. And we, we get on Good. the bus constantly. Mm. Um, and, you know, in Gibraltar is a different scenario. Everybody should be getting on the bus. That's yes. my view. If you, if you cycle, cycle, great. I cycle. <laughs> yeah, if you cycle, it's yes. great. But yes. I, I mean, I or can't walking. cycle and not everybody can. Yes. Uh, and, and the public transport system here, we're very lucky, is, mm. is, is very good. So, yeah. yeah. So 
Where do you think, in all the jobs that you've had and all the things, where have you made the most difference, do you think? I don't know. Um, I don't know about difference. It's all, it's, you're, you're part of something. I don't think you, you can claim to make a difference by yourself. You know? Yeah. You are part of something and you are part of a group of people who are working towards the common goal, whether it be in Tanzania or Madagascar when we were working with the communities there. What were you doing in Madagascar? So Madagascar was a very interesting uh, challenge for me um, because when I went there, Madagascar was possibly one of its most difficult periods. Um, and uh, I was in my early 20s working for WWF, the World Wide Fund for Nature, and I was given the task of um, coming into communities to speak to the stakeholders, to speak to the women, the, the, the local people in authority, the beneficiaries mm. of the grants that WWF was investing in, to see if the money was reaching the people that needed to be reached and if the money was making a difference. So there was a, WWF is housed in Geneva. It has a lot of projects worldwide. It funds these projects mm. and wanted somebody to come from outside to come in and have conversations with the local communities to find out if the money was making a difference. And when I went to Madagascar and of course WWF is a conservation organization. It was more interested in biodiversity and plants and protecting environment. Mm. But there were very vulnerable women in particular, you know, in coastal communities who were telling me that it was great to conserve the forests, but they didn't have access to wood anymore or timber to be able to cook the food that was very plentiful in their shores. They couldn't cook it. They couldn't they cook no it because they wouldn't allow they them. They wouldn't allow them to cut, yeah, cut down the because, trees. You know, yes. the, you know yes. it's as simple as that. And, yes. and so there was money to protect the trees. But yes. here were people, and, and this I remember I have this photograph with this mother and this young child who, who was saying, I can't cook this fish. I can catch the fish. I can be very self, um, quite autonomous in terms of I don't have to depend on a man for me mm. to survive and for much because I have so much around me but how but, do I feed them but I can't cook the food you know um and and those were the realities of then going back to Geneva and saying you know environment and development okay. issues are integrally connected you cannot put up a fence around this forest to protect her without and and mm. and, and and dividing a community that has access to to those resources or for generations because, you know, that forest is worth protecting. You have to give them alternatives. You have to look at ways in which you can support the communities and not just put up fences. So that was, that was I think, quite a significant moment uh, in terms of the reporting that we did mm. and the effect that it had on how funding was taken. Because it was not, wasn't just uh, Madagascar. We went to Brazil, Colombia. With the same kind of... With the same similar things being situations. found. Yeah, in Tanzania. And in, in Brazil, Brazil, I mean, what was Brazil. that like? Brazil is just, they're knocking down the forest like anything at the moment. So yeah. do they need to, do you think? I mean, the whole business with the soya bean, no? It's, 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 just... it's so complicated, Michelle. It's not as simple as no. saying, these Don't people are wrong, these mm. people are right. Mm. 
you know, all you have to do is this. Uh, this is a multi-layered. If, if there's anything I've learned is there's no quick solutions to this. It's multi-layered. I mean, I went and worked for Venezuela for a while in the northern coast of Venezuela, uh, which was quite a dangerous part of Venezuela at the time. And, and there was the most beautiful reefs and beautiful landscapes and biodiversity that, you know, in the, in, in, in the co coastline that is unique to that part of the world. And again, it needed protected, protecting. But then you have the oil industry that was feeding communities. You know, mm. all the communities, there were thousands and thousands of people that were relying on employment mm. from the oil industry mm. that was destroying the mangroves, mm. you know, the biodiversity, which is also their cultural heritage. Now, it wasn't a simple scenario of going there and saying, stop working for them and come and protect the mangroves. You know, you have to create an alternative form of employment so that they could actually still earn a living but protect yeah. their cultural heritage. So it's it's complicated. In a time fussy, yeah. mm. you know, it's going to be the same here with climate change when it hits Gibraltar. Cause it's well, I think to... it's, it's, it's already hitting. Yeah, but at the moment we're seeing things mm. happening in the fringes mm. you wait mm. until the real effects start hitting us yeah you know we're we doing enough about it though education it's a big question isn't it yeah i think I mean, I, is it all about education and, and people doing their little bits no no it's not i think i think for me personally if you ask me the little bit and doing the little bit is what's enough. wrong really mm. Because we can then just forget about the big changes that we need to do in our society. Because oh, it's okay, I'm recycling. You're too young. Because I've got the three bins and I'm recycling. Okay, I'm doing my bit. Somebody else needs to sort the rest. Oh, yeah, but when you go to the supermarket and you buy your prawns for dinner. In plastic. Uh, well, the, yeah. <laughs> Where does the prawn come from? Yeah. Does it come from, from nearby Lovario, Chiclana area? You know, or does it come all the way from Thailand, where the people who are farming the prawns are not making much of a living, where they're being transported so far away that the carbon footprint it's is undeniable. Yeah. So just going to your supermarket and making smart choices about what you're purchasing is much more impactful on your greater global good and your own personal climate change impact than perhaps a couple of things that you might be doing mm. as a routine. I'm not saying that recycling shouldn't be done, no, but, but I, I'm just saying yeah, that sometimes... It's a faff, though, to have to think and look and read the packaging and, the, and look at... Because everything is, is written out if it's yeah. properly sourced which, or not, but which is why you have me, to do that. Why, for me, it's important that we take away uh, that burden on individuals and that higher-level decisions are made so that you know it's not hard it's mm. easier in other words that they don't allow these things to be sold and so you can't go and get this from that's, thailand that's that's my that's view. very hard really difficult to do yeah it is it is hard but it has to be done it has to be done mm. it's like school uniforms where are they sourced where do they come yeah. you know has anybody asked the question what are they made of you know and something as simple as that you know, this, everybody, you, you know, everybody as a child buys two or three uniforms or inherits two and three mm. uniforms a year because you have to have them. You know, the impact of that is so mm. much more significant than... It's like 
It's like, for example, in Jib, as an example, yeah. people don't buy recycled clothes. People don't really like. I remember my my family in England were all into going to the Oxfam shop and recycling. Yeah. And, and my my some other family members here in Jib would say, "Oh, can you believe it? That dress was secondhand. Her wedding dress was secondhand." Yeah, there was nothing but wrong with that. Of course not. There's absolutely Recy nothing wrong with that. Um, but that, okay, it's looked on, it's frowned see, upon a little bit, that, maybe. That'll, that'll I think change. people are changing. I think that will change. I think that will change mm -hmm. over time as we realize that actually the recycled clothes are much better designed, much better quality, much longer lasting. Vintage. Than, yeah, that, than <laughs> some of the stuff you buy interesting. now. Yes. Yeah. Boo Avenue focuses on putting her first, providing an expert fit in luxurious styles at affordable prices. They pride themselves on a superior fit, outstanding customer service, and an inclusive size offering, with lingerie available in sizes A to G cup. Plus, with swimwear that fits like lingerie, luxurious loungewear, and everyday essentials, Boo Avenue have the perfect fit for every season. What are you doing personally um, to, to keep to this What do I do? Well, I walk everywhere and I catch public transport. That's my number one. Yeah. And although I have a lot of international commitments, mm. my first question is always, can I get there by train? Can I get there by train? Do I have to get there in the first place? Can I do it virtually? Great. Um, so yeah. that's my big element um, in terms of thinking things through. How important is it that I am there? Mm. Um, can I get there in by other means? How can I reduce my, my footprint? The carbon footprint, yeah. And, and what I eat, I always ask. Um, and I really find, in restaurants and everything you I, I ask the question sometimes you have no choice and you have to but that's fine but just asking the question where's this from where's it coming from where do you source it <clears throat> do you know the people who grow this food you know things like that is start triggering questions in mm. people's minds and asking and thinking um, you know as I say I it's not always easy to implement things and, and they take mm. time so you will see me doing things occasionally that may not be by the book, but that's but because, you try. That's because sometimes yeah. there's not many other options. Yeah. Very interesting. And I hope people <laughs> listening, because the thing is, this is the thing. People will listen to this and they'll think, you know, she's right, because I Ricky is very much into all this and he, yeah. he we sometimes go to a certain shop that's cheap. Yes. Oh, I've bought this and the first thing he's gonna ask me and most men don't get involved in yes, what you bring. Yes, yes. He'll say, Where did you get that? Is that the bag? Do I do yeah. I I wouldn't buy from there if I was you because I've yes. read these things yeah. about you know yeah. labor you know child labor, child labor and all the rest. I please yeah. don't buy anything from that yeah. shop anymore. Yeah. Um so yeah, yes, yeah. I mean, if if somebody listening at least will think about what we're talking yeah, about yeah. and change yeah. a couple of things yeah. in there, and not just recycling, as yeah. you say. And you know how exciting it is to think that you can you can take control of your own future, Michelle. You know how exciting is that? Mm. You know how mm. exciting is it to be able to say to to you know to sit around the table over dinner and say, imagine what Gibraltar might be like in ten years' time. You know, have these conversations with your kids. What would you like to see? What would you like to be like? Mm, you inspire know? them. And yeah, and say, so, do you think we'll yeah. still have the old town? You know, do you think they'll still be preserved as they are? Do you think, you know, do you think we'll have something else? How do you mm. think we're going to get from here to the beach? You know, do you think there's going to be a different way? We And, and just have those creative conversations mm. that not only makes the, the future present, 
but also takes the younger people away from this eco-anxiety that is in our society at the moment, because we put so much blame and so much responsibility on people and individuals. You mm. get a lot of anxiety. Kids yeah. are anxious. Yeah, they are. You know, For many things. Yeah, and I don't think that's right. It's not healthy. No, it's not healthy. Yeah. It's not healthy at all. Yeah. Because then you get people just want to forget about it. So well. that's one of the ways you encourage others. How do you encourage people when you're at a meeting and you're asked to you know, chair a meeting or to be part of something? How, how do you encourage people around you to to change and to and to yeah or you, you know that one of the key things that that i guess gets me is that when people say well we've always done it that way that's how we always do it mm, so why change something that's always good, been done no? that way mm. um and that's that's not i think how the future is uh, mm. the future is let's ask whether we still need to be doing it this way it doesn't mm. mean that we need to change everything. Some things we need to keep. And in fact, I'm very conservative in, in some things, you know. But we need to ask the question, are we, is this still fit for purpose? Are we, you know, and, and when I'm chairing, when I'm, when I'm sitting in a committee, that's the key question I ask, you know. I don't have the answers, but I ask the questions. Um, and I think getting the debate going is, is important. What is one of the most rewarding projects that you've worked on? Um, I'd like to say it was Earth Hour. You know, a lot of the work that I did on the ground in Tanzania, in Colombia, in Brazil, uh, in Hong Kong, I found really, really exciting. Um, and that some of them are still going but in different ways. Hmm. But I'm going to answer with two answers, if that's okay. I'm going to say, yes, what, what, you know, the Earth Hour was hugely fulfilling. Um, so I don't know if you know the story, but... Oh, well, I know that it was this weekend because we got home and Ricky said, it's Earth Hour, no electricity in the house. Uh -huh. And we sat here in silence while he was out. Yes, we put a candle oh, on. I said, pero que ta loco? He said, yeah. no, it's Earth Hour. Yeah, yeah. And we can't have any, any I don't yeah. want anything on in the house. Yeah. And it was between 8 and 9 yeah, yeah. or 8.30. Anyway, we just got in yeah, at yeah, quarter yeah. past 8 and we sat here with candles. Like and do you know what? 30, yeah. We were on our own because yeah. Beanie's at uni and Mikey was had out at a party and it was really nice That's lovely isn't it yes we had a glass of wine yeah we changes we sat here we tone. chatted for half an hour till no we phones, put the lights no on. TV. yes yeah so actually so, yeah. you know it made me think yeah but yes tell us tell us how so, i didn't realize you were behind that yeah so in 2007 um well, I was a member of the board of WWF in Australia. So after all this traveling that I did and mm. for WWF, when I settled in Sydney, um, I was asked, WWF Australia asked me if I would sit in their board. And one of the key things that the new CEO who came in wanted to do is change the way that the organization was engaging with people. Uh, because I did a lot of things with animals. I needed mm. to engage with people. You know, mm. the problem was people. You know, not the animals. The animals. So we, we needed to raise awareness, and we needed mm. to engage with people. And one of the key ideas that that we came up with was Earth Hour. Um, and there was a very talented young social marketer who who helped us sort of put some frames to this. And in 2007, we launched it at the Sydney Harbour. 
and uh, it was just an idea, a small group of people with an idea of wanting to tackle a problem. And 2007, we launched it in Sydney, and uh, the story is that uh, you know we put a lot of effort into it, and we, we pulled it together in about six months in the end. It was covered by the media. We had the prime minister, the leader of the opposition, a lot of A-listers like Kate Winslet was there. You know, there was lots of big people around the shores as we launched it. And there was a massive countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. And it was also my most embarrassing moment. And I've said this before because we looked up and nothing switched off. You know, we counted down over for the very first time, expecting nothing, the l- switched, off. nothing switched off in Sydney. Oh, dear. So and what happened? I had to turn around to... Kevin Rudd, who I was standing next to, who wasn't the prime minister at the time, he was the leader of the opposition. And, and I was I was saying, oh, you know, this is why we need to do this. I was thinking, how do we get out of this? <laughs> this is why we need to do this, because people are not switching off the lights. They're not aware how important this is. So, you know, we turned the narrative around to saying, but actually 15 minutes into the conversation, the lights went out. we looked up and the lights did go out. And it took a while for people, the very first time, it was, was, oh, I forgot, I had to switch off the lights today, you know, because it wasn't a a routine Mm. thing. People took their time to do it, but they did do it. it. And so we looked up and the harbour lights were off. And of course, after that, it became quite a global phenomenon. Mm. You know, the Eiffel Tower gets switched off, the Taj Mahal gets switched off, you know, and our own British Council gets switched off. And, And, you know, so many years later... Um, I remember I didn't realise it was a global phenomenon at all until I was in Malta with my parents on holiday one Easter and we were coming back from a a trip and Dad said, oh, let's sit down and have a drink before we have dinner and and get changed. And we sat in the lobby and the hotel suddenly switched off the lights and started bringing candles. And my dad said, what's going on? And he said, oh, it's Earth (laughs) Hour. because I was on holiday. I'd completely forgotten. Wow. And they put all the lights out. And, and I started crying. Yeah, I'm sure. I got so emotional. I'm sure. uh, I didn't know. Yeah, I got but so... But we do it. Yeah, we, we always do, do it. We do, yeah. 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 And, you forget. The thing is, you forget. Mm. Yeah. But so I didn't now, know that was... Now it's very <clears> big. <throat> now it's massive. And you know, how, how do you keep up with what's going on, with, with, with the trends globally, with what people are doing. Uh, I'm sure there's other people like you who feel like you yes. who are working tirelessly sure. for this. For sure. And how do you keep up with, with everything? Uh, it's a community. So it's, it's not as if, if you're in it, you don't sort of have a choice. Uh, you're, okay. You're pulled in. Yeah, they, people get in touch with you or you're it's, just reading, you read and you... No, I don't have time to read. Uh, so unless I have to prepare so, mm. for something very specific, mm. I mean, yeah, and, but, but people, you know, pull you in and mm. it's a community and, and you pull well, other worldwide, people Worldwide, even though you're in Jib. Absolutely. Okay. So I, last weekend I was in Girona. Yes, I saw uh, that. I was doing some work there. The, you yeah. know, they gave me almost like the freedom of the city in Girona, which is the, this ambassadorial title, working with them. Mm. Um, I work with Brussels um, and and a whole bunch of other projects. I work with New York, uh, United Nations in New York. What is that like, The working for the United Nations? And uh, you advise them, huh? Um, I am... I've got a representative role, so I have a formal role, mm-hmm. as well as um, I, I advise UNESCO, mm. but the UN uh, agencies 
have different roles. So I, I represent the UK government on issues of sustainability in Geneva, for example, the United Nations Economic Com uh, Council for Europe. And so I have formal roles. It's, it's really interesting because it's the most frustrating and at the same time, the most exciting thing I do. Frustrating because there's a lot of bureaucracy and there's a lot of um, things where you just sometimes want to speak your mind and say, mm. not good enough, or come on, let's mm. get on with it. Mm. But there are cultural sensitivities and you have to understand. Um, Bite your tongue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And the, the, but, but not because people are not wanting to do the right thing. It's because that people see the world differently. Uh, and so it's not that there's good and there's bad. It's, it's just that people have a different set of glasses they're wearing. And it's not their fault that they're wearing those sets of glasses. So you have to try and persuade them or show them mm. that they need to change those glasses. So mm. through the way that you work with them, um, mm. you have to do some of that. But it's really quite frustrating sometimes, you know. And sometimes, you have to still travel quite... Well, I, I, I tend to limit that. So, for example, this role I do in Geneva, mm. I only go once a year. That's it. You know, uh, everything else we, we do now online. Um, once a year because the face-to-face -face is important to build relationships and trust and to deal some, with some quite important matters that are sensitive that sometimes you can't deal with virtually. So it's it's frustrating. But al mismo tiempo, it's so exciting mm. because you meet people uh, who have the same passion as you and focus mm. and mm. and you and know, that gives and, you a buzz. And you share, mm. you share something, you know. I mm. had some very sad news last week because there's there's a colleague of mine I work with in, in Geneva who I've worked with for 30 years. And I, you know, I absolutely adore him. He's one of, he's the, the Dutch uh, representative to the United Nations and, you know, uh, you know, worked with him for many, many, many years. And, and we were just planning to meet uh, in Geneva in May, as we always do. And he just dropped me a WhatsApp message to say, mm, I've got pancreatic cancer, you know, um, this might be my last meeting. Yeah. And, and you just go, Yes, your heart stops. Oh, you yeah. know, this is not just a professional relationship. These are people you've worked with for a very long time. You've grown up together. You oh, know, I'm sorry. Yeah, and it's sad. But there's also a very pretty side to this. Like when I got pregnant with Alexa, you know, uh, and I refused to not travel because I was pregnant. I, you know, she, I was always with with. with Alexa when she was a baby as well so I used to mm. take her to these UN meetings on I used to just hang her on my thing I used wow. to take her so these people like my colleague I used to yes I've known um, you know me know my mm. daughter know my family you know and you build mm. these relationships and this is what it's all about yeah. it's about relationships yeah. with people you know this is not about oh I've been to Geneva today and I'm going to be no it's about mm. the people you meet it's about the work that you do. And, and dedicating your life to bettering lives for other people. Yeah, but, but, but so do so many but you people. Don't, but yes, so do yes, so many yes, people. Yes, I yes. Mean. and I, you know, I've had it in my family with my uncle. He's dedicated yes. his life to other people. And he's selfless. But I, I feel you are to, to a certain extent as well. Because it's, it, what you do is not easy. No. Yet you no. put yourself out there and you, and you really try and make a difference. Yeah. And I think that's commendable. 
you build, you, you make enemies as well sometimes yeah, when you have a, a passion and a vision. You know, it's it's uh, you know not everybody. But enemies, I mean, you know, what kind of enemies? I well, mean, you know, pe people but, people don't who are always, jealous or who they're probably just jealous. Oh, just people who don't like people with ideas or vision. You know that, that's, and yeah. you, that's a reality as yeah. well. And you know, before it used to be a gender issue. Yeah. Now I I don't think it's just a gender issue yeah. but, but there were times when you know mm. people who who wanted to do things differently or saw the future differently mm. are are difficult people mm. because you're not going with the flow do you think things have changed now and there's more there's more gender equality in in your line of work and in and this world um, in general yes and no i am finding the closer you get to the decision-making scenarios, the more subtle the the bias is, the gender bias is. Yeah. So it's still there, but disguised. Yeah. 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 And sometimes, I mean, they're not as conscious of yeah. it. Yeah. But maybe. Yeah. Gosh. It's it's becomes interesting, isn't it? Yeah, but it's there. Yeah. It's there for yeah. sure. And when you took Alexa Alexa to work with you, how was that received? Fine. Uh surprisingly fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I was making a statement by yeah, always yeah, bringing absolutely. her with me. Um, absolutely. And uh, you know, I wasn't going to stop my work because she and I also thought it was important for her to see her mother works. And, yeah. you know, her mother has yeah. has other responsibilities as well as looking after her and and you know I think and bringing up a family you've ha you have a patient husband I I take my it husband's my <laughs> husband yeah he's got his his life as well in mm. sport which he enjoys mm. and and yes very very supportive of course very supportive Mira this this podcast is called I've I've titled it Why Bother right have you and I ask everyone this si, question, si. have you ever asked yourself why bother no. why have I bothered no. No. Um, I ask myself very often, have I done the right thing? Okay, um, which is very different. Uh, have I done the right thing? Yeah. Could I have done it better? Could yeah. I have done it differently? Um, not why bother, because it's it's too deep in me yeah. um, to not to ask that question, to ask that question, why bother? What's the most important thing that you've learned for from your career? Uh, I've learned, I think, I think when I, when I left school, um, I was young, I was very naive, um, very, very naive. And mm. I think because I was thought good of people, I was very naive <laughs> and always used to take people at face value. Mm. Um, and now I know mm. that people are more complicated than that. Mm. Been, you know, people can be very multi-layered. Um, and I now understand that sometimes you see a layer of someone, but you need to understand there's more layers to them for different reasons. Sometimes voluntary, sometimes not voluntary. That's how people are made up. Um, and I've learned, I've learned to try and understand the jigsaw of people um, mm. and, and try to dig a little deeper in understanding people and mm. uh, finding out more about them. Um, 
Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yes, I could be here all day, but we've been chatting for (laughs) such a long time, and I'm looking at all my questions, and I'm thinking, you know, you know, I think we've we've. I mean, really, it's it's been so interesting to hear you. I could honestly listen to you all day. It really gets you thinking, and I, I'm I can imagine you, um, and that's why you've got so many fellowships, so many accolades, because you're one of these people that 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 really generates, you know questions and and answers and what's happening and how can we do this and i'm i'm a bit like that in my own yeah, little world absolutely. um i like to yeah. do that as well yeah um yeah and it's about um, energy and yes. you've got a lot of that yes. energy it uh, is about yeah. energy you're right yeah. and it, yeah. you got, i hadn't thought of it like that but yeah. yes it's it energy is. i mean you need to be yes. able to walk in the room yes. and bring that energy yes you know, yes. and, and 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 give the people, you know, energy and confidence to be able to to do things. Mm. And I think that's really, really important. Uh, so energy. a couple more. One that, yeah. that's quite interesting, just, just <laughs> yeah, to finish. Yeah. Um, you're from Gibraltar yeah. and the Gibraltar topic is, you know, hot potato yeah. in other countries. When you've gone to Spain, I mean, maybe yeah. other places too, yeah. uh, you, you always say you're from Gibraltar. Always. Yeah. So has that been a problem to you? Has that caused uh, you any s- strife? Uh, uh, strive. Um, it's caused people to be hot under the collar sometimes. Judging you before uh, they've even met you. No, not necessarily. No, no. I think I think the respect has always been there. For, uh, you know, in, I work a lot in Spain. Yeah. I work a lot in Spain. I work a lot with government in Wouldn't Spain. It? Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. And, yeah, a lot. I suppose you can't say very much about that. No, uh, <laughs> I, I, work a, oh, I work a lot yeah. uh, with, you know, I've worked with, I work with the UK government, I've mm. worked with the Spanish government, and um, <clears throat> I always say I'm Gibraltarian. Sometimes they choose to leave that out when they're introducing me. Interesting. Uh, you know, sometimes yeah. they well, sometimes they you know definitely leave it out. Or in particular regions in 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 Spain, they definitely forget to leave the part of the biography that says I was born and grew up in Gibraltar and live in Gibraltar. Um, that <laughs> that gets taken out. Uh, so when I realise that it's been taken out, I make a point of saying it, sharing something that's relevant in the conversation. Good. Um, yeah. But having said that, um, there has always been a lot of mutual respect. Um, mm. A lot of mutual respect. So one last question that I ask everybody. Yeah. Um, if oh. you were on a desert island, it's a bit of a silly question. And you could be with one person. Why would you be with them and who would they be? Billy Connolly. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Straight, straight up. Uh, uh, well, you know, it's. I just love his sense of humour, and his ability to to deal with quite difficult issues in a way that's very human. And uh, Megantail, I love him. He doesn't pretend to be anybody else than who he is. And uh, it's very sad that we don't get to see him very often at the moment because mm. I understand he's he's not well. Yes, mm. but uh, it mm. would be him. Well, honestly, I've loved every minute of our chat. We should really get together more often. We do say, let's meet for a coffee or let's do, do this. And do. then we never do. Thank you so much Thank for giving you me your time. Michelle. I know how busy you are. I enjoyed it's been the wonderful. conversation. Thank, Thank you. you. You've been listening to series three of my podcast, which is called Why Bother? It's a question I've often asked myself, and I'm sure you have too. And I wanted to speak to people about their journeys to success, why they've bothered. Thanks must go to my producer, Charlie Hurst, for putting this podcast together. 
Catch him at soundunit.co.uk. And a big thank you too to artist Beatrice Garcia for designing the podcast icon. Her website is beatricegarcia.com. Thank you for listening and please like and rate the show. And should you want to get in touch, my email is rougechip at gmail.com.